Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name, of course, is Chris Ferry, and this is my co-host. I'm Chris Huddleston. And today, we are going to be talking to you about the film, The Dead Zone. You've been in a coma, Johnny. For how long? Five years. The house is burning. Your daughter's in the house. It's not too late. You're the talk of the town. Because I got my head bashed in and I'm still here to talk about it. Because you have the power of second sight. I don't know whether it's true or not, these psychic powers of yours. Now I'm at my wit's end. John, I could use your help. It has to do with these murders we've been having. The Castle Rock Killer. I saw his face. He's dangerous. If you could go back in time before Hitler came to power, knowing what you know now, would you kill him? I would kill him. You'd never get away alive. It doesn't matter. I'm not crazy, you know. Those headaches are getting worse, aren't they? As the visions grow stronger and more powerful, so the body weakens. God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me! Not only can you see the future, I can change it. Okay, well, I thought that was a pretty good trailer. It gives you a good sense of what's going on in the film. What did you think? I agree. Do you have a synopsis for us? Yeah, I'm just going to kind of wing this one. But uh, The Dead Zone is a 1983 film directed by David Cronenberg. Uh, it is based on the novel of the same name by Stephen King. Uh, it stars Christopher Walken as uh, a teacher with the very creative name of Johnny Smith. Uh, <laughs> Johnny and his girlfriend, Sarah, after uh, a, a date on a Friday evening, uh, they go back to her house. Uh, he says that he needs to leave. She tries to talk him into staying. Uh, he declines, and the weather is bad when he leaves, continues to get worse, and he winds up in a horrible car accident. And Pardon is... me one second. Oh, sure. Crack a brisky. All okay, right. proceed. And he's in a terrible accident and is in a coma for five years. When he awakes from the coma, he discovers that he has this psychic ability. He can he can see the future. He can see the past. We'll talk about how the how exactly it works. We think, and some various events happen with him witnessing uh, things in people's lives, and ultimately, in the background of the movie, there is this uh, man running for. Senate in the state they're in, which is is Maine, I think, um, named Greg Stilson. And Johnny meets him one day, shakes his hand and gets a glimpse of what the future is for this future senator and uh, what the future would be for our country and our world, basically. And so that's 
that's ultimately the story. Well, uh, as we say on every podcast, I think we're going to spoil this. Yeah, should be a so, good rule of thumb. We yeah. talk about it from start to finish. You know, if you haven't seen the dead, the dead zone yet, came after out forty years or whatever. Sorry, uh, but pause the uh, pause the podcast. Go and watch the dead zone. And then resume the podcast. Of okay. course, that's absurd. But what was the, you had said you found one online that was uh, very short and sweet. What was that one? Oh, it was on IMDb. A man awakens from a coma to, to discover he has a psychic ability. <laughs> I, I mean, that makes me think like Star Wars. Um, a boy realizes he's special in space. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a like, bunch of, it's, it's, it's about Wars, as it's people hang around in space. You know, I don't know. Um, so what did you think of this one? Had you seen this before? Yes, I've seen it, but it, it, it had been a long time, mm -hmm. uh, since I had seen it. Um, I, I, I liked it quite a bit. I think, uh, I was intrigued by it, you know, for a number of reasons, directed by Cronenberg, uh, starring Christopher Walken, written by Stephen King. And I'm always interested in adaptations of Stephen King's work because when I was a kid, I mean, there was a point in time when I had read everything Stephen King, uh, AKA Richard Bachman had ever written. Um, and that is no longer the case. He writes faster than I can read. And mm. I kind of, it's not that I grew out of it. It's just, I don't know. When I was in my teens, I kind of gobbled up, excuse me, horror. Mm -hmm. And he, he writes very readable stuff. Um, so I'm interested in adaptations of his work. Um, I think overall, you know, I felt the movie is a little slow. It's got this um, interesting three-act structure. And, you know, I know you can say any any sort of popular movie has a three-act structure, but this really feels like almost three individual storylines in, in the arc of a single character. Like, there's the time... The act one is before the accident, uh, actually coming up right through the accident and realizing he has these powers coming out of the coma and coming to terms with that. And the second act is he meets, um, right, and these powers are basically that when he touches somebody, he has a sort of a clairvoyance. Initially, it was sort of about their past, and then he sees a flash of the future when he he's a tutor, he's a teacher, previously he becomes a tutor for the son of a very wealthy man and he has a premonition of the son who he gets close with the son he has a premonition of the son's death and in act two he realizes that he can affect those those flashes um that choices he makes can change the the outcome that he foresees and then in act three is this sort of senator storyline where knowing this he kind of inadvertently gets a glimpse of this powerful man's future that is um, devastating and and decides oh it, it is it my duty to do what i can to prevent this future from happening even if it means my own life mm -hmm. and and the the three chapters of it i guess that's a good word it's you think of act one act two and act three of a movie but this really feels like three chapters of a book almost um it's shot like a horror movie, you know, and there are definitely some scenes that uh, that are very much like a horror movie. Oh, I, I'm sorry. In Act uh, Two, 
he thwarts a serial killer. Right. So there's this whole little storyline um, of him, like helping the police track down the, I forget the name of the town. Um, it's in the dairy, I think. The dairy. Yeah. It wasn't the dairy killer. I want to say it was like the Amityville killer. They, they, they had a serial killer. Uh, serial. I feel like Foster Brooks. They had a serial. serial. They had a serial killer name for this guy who was killing girls. Yeah, I forget what they call him. But that was very much Act Two. That it was like I can use my powers for good. Then oh, I can see the future and I can change the future. And then oh my God, uh, I see a terrible future that I might be able to change, but uh, there's really no way I can affect it without sacrificing myself. Um. I'm doing a lot of talking. What do no, you have any, jump in here? Do you have any thoughts? Um, yeah. So I would agree on. So one thing I will say is I, I was like you um, when I was a kid, I was a Stephen King nut. This is a, a book that I never read for whatever reason. I, um, I bought a nice uh, used co- hardcover copy of this book, of, like probably five years ago. And I haven't read it. Um, I did not see this movie as a kid. Um, I saw, I'd say it was probably around 2000 was the first time I saw this and I really liked it and maybe had seen it one other time between then and now, but there are, I I like this one quite a bit. As you said, I I think this is one of the better, um, probably one of the best King adaptations. Um, Christopher Walken is very good in this. He's an interesting choice. He's an, an interesting choice. Yeah, exactly. And he because does a good job. He does a very good job. He's not a, you know, a traditional leading man. He's not traditionally leading man handsome. Um, I think it's interesting to watch Walken in these kind of earlier performances in his career because later on, in as he got older, I feel like he became kind of a a caricature of himself, almost, almost a spoof of himself. You know, everybody does a Christopher Walken impression and all that, but Pacino, as you do. Yeah, exactly. But here he is, he has the, the weirdness and the kind of creepiness of, of Walken that fits somewhat this aspect of him being this, having these strange powers, but he also seems very human I think especially early on in this in this movie, there's some things that are are pretty heartbreaking about it, about it. For example, he awakens from the coma. It's been five years. He and, and Sarah, the girlfriend, were very much in love. And there's one part where he, you know, he or, or she, I forget, says, you know, for for everybody else, it's been five years. And for him, it's like it's the next day. Right. So she has moved on. Um she has a, a husband now and a child, but she's still in love with him, basically. Um, so that's well, yeah, go ahead. but I, I would almost I don't want to say debate that, but there is a scene you don't see in cinema a lot anymore these days where she comes to him and she brings her son. Mm-hmm. And they consummate their relationship, right? The night he has the accident, she invites him in, but he says, some things are worth waiting for, right? Right. They're really into each other. And he's Mm -hmm. madly, he's enough in love with her. He says, I'm going to marry you. 
And I think she says, I accept or something like that. I'm going to hold you to that. Um, and then he gets in the car and drives off into the night and has the accident. Um, so she comes back and has made the decision to sleep with him. And they have this sort of blissful day together. And he, and she says, this can't happen again. Right. You know, and it, it becomes clear that it's like, not, I owed you this, but this was in our cards. Right. And I want this too, but I have a new life now with a husband and a son. And I needed to, you know, we needed to tie this particular thread off. Mm -hmm. And we have now we've consummated this, <clears throat> but you know, I do, I, I, you know, it's been five years. I do have this new life now and I, I choose that. And it's a remarkably complicated and human scene that I think you, you know, in novels, it's, you just don't see it on screen as much anymore. The, the only other incidents I can think of is like, do you ever see the movie Network? Oh yeah. I love Network. Yeah. But the original, um, um, there's a scene in which, you know, there's an older couple, he's a producer and she's no dummy. She's his wife. And he falls for this kind of very attractive, much younger. I think she's an anchor that's coming in very ambitious. And he has this frank conversation with his wife. That's like, um, you know, uh, you don't deserve this, but I, feel like I need to go and do this. Mm. And he's just completely honest with her and it's out of respect and she's furious, you know, and I think, and it, and it runs its course. I think he even says something to the effect of, I hope that, you know, you'll be able to forgive me and we can still be friends, you know, when this burns itself out, like mm -hmm. he's even open eyed about the fact that this has no future, <laughs> right? Yeah. This affair. But, and I, she even takes him back, I think, after it's all over. But I just, it's uh, Elia Kazan uh, directed it. I just, that struck me as cinema of like, that's just not how people in movies behave. Like that kind of frankness in the face of certain, to love someone so much that you're just completely honest with them like that is mm -hmm. rare on screen. Um, and the other one is um, Castaway, right? Yeah. I can think of that uh, that he's trained on the island and he comes back and everyone assumes he's dead. Of course you would assume he's, he died in the crash. Um, but she's married and has kids and she makes the choice. She comes out in the rain and gets in the car with him and she says, let's go. You know, I will leave my wife and child or children to be with you. And it was an agonizing decision, but that's what I choose. And I just was struck by that. I'm like, you don't see that no. on screen. Um, anyway, this was not as profound as that, but it was, it was one complex element of this movie that I really dug. And, you know, that's the source material. But the whole thing overall pacing-wise it's sold as a horror movie and it's billed as a horror movie. But it's a drama, basically. It's a drama. Yeah. It's a drama about a about 
a nice, intelligent, warm, you know, everyday guy who is in love with the love of his life and has a tragic car accident that results in this kind of tragic ability that he never wanted and doesn't enjoy, and it hurts him. And he's lost everything, but he's still alive. And and then he's just sort of cornered into these things, like this ability people make demands of him. And ultimately, he is faced with insight into something where he's has to decide between sacrificing himself or letting lots and lots of people die. Well, so we'll just spoil it. He has a vision yeah. that this up and coming senator who is a populist, everything's <laughs> it's it's pretty broad strokes, but it resonates a lot now with Trump. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um it launches, I mean, he's insane um in in very clear cut ways in and he launches a nuclear attack. And um we don't see the outcome of that, but the you know the understanding is that it's gonna it's gonna kill millions of people. Um, mm-hmm. So he decides he to, he needs to assassinate the guy. Um, and they even have the uh, I I had forgotten this, but I was thinking you know well it's the Hitler question. Would you go back in time you know and kill Hitler if you could, or if you went back in time to when you know Hitler was a baby or whatever, would you kill him? And I was thinking about that, you know, and they explicitly, there's a conversation that he has right. with his doctor who was a Polish uh, immigrant who was, you know, in uh, Holocaust you know, under, survivor. Yeah, it was a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, he asks him, you know, if, if you could, because he's, you know, at this point, he understands that this, this Stilson, what's going to happen with him. So he asked the doctor, you know, if you could go back, would you, uh, you know, would you kill Hitler and so the doctor yeah, says something like, yeah, I'd kill the, I'd yeah, kill this son of a bitch or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's another great character in this movie. I like another, him a lot. Yeah. You know, he, he just deals with it head on. He was so used to seeing doctors be like, oh, John, we're not sure what's happening. Like they lie to their patients and mm-hmm. this guy does not do it. He's like, what's happened to me? <laughs> and the yeah. guy tells him, he's like, you seem to have an extraordinary ability. It's either very new or very old. He says something really interesting. That was a cool. Yeah, I like that line a lot. And, and it's just he doesn't like this. Can't be true. Like he just takes the evidence at face value, and there's like I can't explain it, but I'm your doctor, and I'm on your team, and I'm going to be honest with you. And it's just it's so refreshing. That, yeah, that was one of the things that I thought was very interesting, and as you said, refreshing because. In so many movies of this type, half the movie would have been them uh, trying to figure out, you know, do I really have these abilities and, you know, other people figuring out this is right off the bat, pretty much. I mean, the first probably 10 minutes he has this he the first instance of you understanding that he has this power is one of his nurses while he's in the hospital comes to him and he touches her hand and he has a vision of a little girl in a house that's on fire. It's the nurse's uh, daughter. He says, you know, there's still time. You got to go there and save her. They go, the girl is saved. And immediately everybody knows that he has this power now because the media knows about it. So it's not the thing of, you know, the world knows what's going on with him. Right. It's not the secret that just he has and a couple of other right. people. And so there I thought are that disbelievers was and skeptics. Mm-hmm. 
um and then he touches the doctor's hand and he sees his past yeah well, what we see of him seeing is his past and he says he's separated from his mother a big so i say a holocaust survivor it, what you get the sense it's poland or something and she puts him as a as a very young child she puts him in another woman's arms on a full um like wagon of people like leaving the city during mm. some sort of nazi attack or liquidation and that's the last time he sees his mother and what the walken character what john says to him is she's still alive right we don't see evidence that she's still alive but he says she's still alive and the guy looks her up and calls her and confirms and that's enough for him yeah he's like it's it's true he doesn't actually speak to his mother though he no and that's an interesting the conversation not about how did you get these powers it's like did you talk to her nope why you know i just didn't it wasn't meant to be like that they have a conversation about the important thing Mm -hmm. not about what the movie is pitching to you as you know what i mean it's just it was really interesting in that regard and the cinematography it's shot like a horror picture of that time. Right. Like the lighting and the, the sort of general mood that you see on screen is, you know, he hits, he doesn't hit a fuel truck, which would go up and up fireball. He hits a milk mm-hmm. truck. So I thought that was that, funny. Yeah. And he's in a VW thing that's sort of crushed and lying on its side. And instead of there being blood smeared all over the, splashed all over the windscreen, it's milk. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting. Um, so it's I think it's worth watching just on on those different things. I will say it doesn't ever feel it doesn't come together in a really satisfying way for me. I enjoy the movie, but it somehow doesn't quite gel because the movie and the performances in the script are really a drama. With like, it's like you get a, you know, you get a dish of ice cream and the ice cream is drama, but it's got like horror marshmallows sprinkled all over it. You know, it's. Mm -hmm. That's a good analogy. I like that. It's not a horror movie, although it's pitched as one. And you're like Stephen King, master of horror. But it really isn't. It's a, it's a kind of a creepy drama. Well, and, you know. I believe this was Cronenberg's first American film. So he's Canadian. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, I was looking, I looked up the, the chronology or whatever. Uh, this came out the same year as Videodrome. Uh, Videodrome came out in February. This came out in October. Those two movies couldn't be much more different. Um, and, I'm this is total speculation on my part, but I I think this was probably this is a very mainstream movie. I mean, there's not so Cronenberg is known for the body horror and this really, you know, a lot of gross stuff. And Morphia kind of like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And this movie, there's very little blood in this. There's really only one, the there's only really one really disturbing scene, and that is where the serial killer kills himself. The, uh, I'll, I'll just won't, won't ruin that. Cause that's when something, but that is a, is a pretty messed up scene, but I feel like, and I think we're, once again, I think we're kind of on the same page with this. I feel like 
it after the serial killer part, which I guess is probably the first act. I don't think the rest of it is as strong as what comes before that. And I think, I think this is another example of there, there were quite a few questions that I had. Um, having not read the book, I'm sure there are things that are much more fleshed out in the book. Um, and some of these, it, like, even though I really like the serial killer part, I don't know that it was necessarily had to be in the movie. Uh, he, and then sort of the next chapter is he leaves the town and goes to another town to, to get away and he becomes a tutor and, and he brought up, he, he meets this boy, this, uh, uh, the boy has a rich father and the boy is, was he supposed to be autistic? I don't know if he was just shy or if he was autistic, but it's like, he won't it's, come out of his shell or whatever. It's right? not clear. And I don't remember the source material. Yeah. Um, so at first you think he's probably on the spectrum or something cause the dad, and then you start to think, well, dad's just a real jerk and doesn't relate to the fact that his son is highly intelligent and sensitive and very different than him. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the boy doesn't, the actor, it doesn't read as autistic. And I say this with some experience, um, Yeah, but it, it sort of doesn't matter what the story it's like with the, with the serial killer. It's like, that's really disturbing, but you'd think in a horror movie, Oh, it's about the serial. not about the serial killer. There's a guy who's killing girls and he solves the crime with his ability. And the whole thing is extremely upsetting. Like that's mm-hmm. the point. Yeah. The point isn't that this is Hannibal Lecter and it's like foe meets his match. It's, it's that he's a part of it and he never wanted to be. And it's really upsetting. Like mm-hmm. these girls are dead and that's not fair. And that's really upsetting. And this guy's crazy and I don't, you know, that's not fair in its own way. And that's really upsetting. And he, when, once they're onto him, he kills himself in a really upsetting way. And the mom knew, and that's really upsetting. And it just leaves him like, I don't want any part of this. And he's, it's the story of a guy trying to hide away from this curse, basically. Yeah. And there's no gypsy that put him on it. Like, we have no idea where it came from. He wakes up from a coma and he's got it. Right. So it's yeah. really just the story of walking. It's the story, not walking, but the walk, John. Yeah. And this sort of poor guy that an accident happened to and he woke up with this curse. Yeah. And it it's almost sort of like he goes through these chapters in his life, because then when the, the stuff with the boy it's all fine, there's none of it that's bad, but it just kind of like it ha- happens. And then ultimately the 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 father gets angry and he doesn't want to be a, want him to be around the boy. Right. Again. Let's unpack that for a minute because yeah. he has a, the father is trying to get his son to be more into sports and whatever like whatever the dad thinks is important. The dad's a very wealthy, intelligent but sort of a jerk off. You know, classic A type. Like my son is supposed to be a reflection of me, and the son is sort of intelligent, bookish, and sensitive. I, you know, then the performance, he's not autistic, although that's what you initially would have thought, that he's mm-hmm. just got a different mind. Um, and anyway, he has an immediate connection with uh, John, the Christopher Walken character. And he has a flash of, uh, you know, the kid and other kids in a hockey uniforms breaking through the ice and drowning. Mm-hmm. 
in a pond and he finds out that the dad is organized at his own expense this you know kind of jv hockey team that he's going to be the coach and he's like we go on the pond and they're going on the pond so he suddenly this vision makes sense and he says the ice is going to break i mean he doesn't beat around the bush he just comes right out and is like don't do it call it off and the guy says okay you know and the 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 boy says i'm not going to do it i'm not going to get suited up i'm not going to play and it turns out that the guy goes ahead and has the practice anyway and without his kids, son yeah and without the other his two son. boys his son, die yeah yeah refuses to participate and two other boys die so and walken I, how does he, he has a vision where it doesn't, he touches his hand and we don't see it, but he's like relieved. Right. Or he calls the house and the boy answers. And so, yeah, he yeah. And he, and he knows he's not dead. Well, he yeah. sees in the paper, two kids drown, right? He goes home thinking, good, I talked him out of it. And then he sees in the paper a couple of days later, two kids drown and he calls the house and the boy answers and he doesn't say anything. Right. right. He hangs up. Yeah. Um, but so the, okay. the dad doesn't want, you know, it's not going to hire Christopher Walken anymore. Yeah. So it's just another loss. He felt he cared deeply about this kid. That's a son figure. Mm-hmm. Cared deeply about him. Sorry, I'm transitioning to Bruce. Mm, no problem. Dose. Um, and it's just loss after loss. Until finally he makes the ultimate sacrifice of giving up. He, he knows you try and assassinate a senator or a senatorial hopeful that you're probably not going to walk out of that. He's right. And I feel like the, I like all of it, but I feel like the final chapter is kind of the weakest to me. Mm. Um, uh, So Martin Sheen plays the, the Senator or the potential Senator and he's very good, but everything else in the movie seems very grounded and pretty realistic yeah. And he is kind of a cartoon villain. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I felt he's very, and, and he, he has, for some reason, he has a kind of a Southern accent, which I don't know why he has that in Maine. They don't ever explain that. You know, there's a lot of little things like that. A lot of cliches go into it. There's yeah. There's a religious some religious thing he does. Mm-hmm. And he's got this heavy that follows him around. And it's a bunch of populist baloney. But then there's the Southern accent and he's unhinged. Yeah. Like he's a heavy, like he's a gangster. He threatens people. There's a guy who's going to write an article and he's got some dirty pictures of him having an affair uh, with a younger woman that he's threatens to publish for his wife and ruin the guy's career. And it just feels very, excuse me, uh, particularly compared to some of the really interesting grounded human stuff earlier in the movie, it feels very broadside in general. It's like, he's a dirty politician willing to stop at nothing to for, you know, and then he's just downright nuts. Like the vision the guy has of him launching the, the nuclear missiles is, um, for no reason, except that he's got this God complex. And he's excited. The, the joint chiefs or whatever come into the room and they're all terror, you know, they're right. They're, uh, horrified. And he's accepted that they're starting World War Three or whatever, right. you know. Yeah, because right, he has the power to do it. And it's just, I think especially, especially now that we're seeing a real demagogue mm-hmm. trying 
to hang on to power and trying to undermine the system itself and the insidious way in which that has been chipped away at over four years that this feels particularly um, broad and absurd. Yeah. And that scene where they're doing the, cause it's like him and the, I don't know if it was the vice president or if it was the uh, secretary of, De- of defense. I don't know who it was, but they have this machine that scans your hand and they each have to put their hand on there. And the other guy the doesn't want to, yeah, the other guy doesn't want to do it. And I'm sure that was, and maybe in 1983, it, it did play this way, but I'm sure that was meant to be, you know, terrifying and it comes off as kind of corny. Um, whereas the rest of the movie president, right? Yeah. The rest of the movie (laughs) doesn't have that feel, you know, it's like I say, it's grounded. It's pretty grounded. And I I was kind of struck by, you know, when he, uh, when he has the visions, um, you know, he takes the person, person's hand, uh, and sees their past or their future or whatever that's handled very well. I feel like in a if they did a 2020 remake of that, there would be, you know, crazy sound effects and light coming out and all these kind of things. And yeah, it's basically no, that was just, handled very, because Walken's yeah. got creepy eyes anyway. Exactly. And he does yeah. these almost seizure jerks. And somebody says, uh, he describes it. He's like, it's painful. It feels like I'm dying when it happens. Mm-hmm. I think it's Tom Skerritt is the main cop. Tom Skerritt is great in a in a small role. Yeah, a small role. And the other thing is, you know, Stephen King's material feels very small town Maine. Sure. Like almost all of it feels very small town Maine. A lot of it is set in a town called Derry. Um, And uh, is this set in Derry? Are you sure? Because it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think Derry is the town where the serial killer is. Yeah. Um, there's, there's theories that all like it and all of these, you know, there's this sort of a cursed town at the center of a lot of Stephen King stuff, but I, I don't know enough about it to get into it. Anyway. Um, they shot, uh, this is, this kind of doesn't surprise me considering it's Cronenberg, but uh, they shot the movie in Toronto. Um, yeah. I, it doesn't feel like Maine. Oh, Castle. Uh Oh, it says it's uh, IMDb or Wikipedia says it's Castle Rock, New Hampshire. It looks like Maine, right? And yeah. if they shot it in New Hampshire, that makes some no, sense. They, like, they shot it. It in, looks. They, they shot, shot it in Toronto. In, yeah, they shot it in Toronto, but it it, but it, it does it look like New. It looks like New England. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't feel like Maine. Right. It doesn't feel like New England, like Tom Skerritt doesn't feel like a small town New England sheriff. And that doctor doesn't feel like, you know what I mean? None of it. And maybe that's Cronenberg. But I think that is so steeped in Stephen King's work. So much of his stuff is set in specifically Maine. But what feels like kind of we just took a drive today as a family up to um, this gorgeous gorge. Excuse me, about 30, uh, 30 minutes um, sort of northwest of where we are. And there's just something about the woods and the isolation and the granite and the big trees. It's a setting 
that sort of imbues like in my mind because I my creativity runs this way. I'm like, man, it would be cool to make a zombie movie, and this would be a great setting for mm. that, you know, or oh an alien invasion here, you know, yeah. there's just something about, and I think that's part of the fact that I read all of the Stephen King stuff and it's sort of intertwined with the sense of new England, but there's an isolation to it. There is an independence to the mindset. There's a saltiness and a crustiness to the people, which is not to say that they're not friendly and they don't have a community. It's just the wary of outsiders. You know what? There's a flavor to New England in general, and I'm sure Maine and different regions of Maine specifically, I'm not less familiar with Maine, but with which with which Stephen King is intimately familiar. And I didn't get any of that in this movie, mm-hmm. which is not really a criticism as much as when you're adapting a Stephen King book. Like I watched the two recent It movies and somehow that is there in those movies. Right. There's that town and that sense of being a kid in that town and being a a member of that town, whether or not that feels true to people who live in Maine or not. You know what I mean? Like that movie taps into the source material in a way that's like, why don't you just leave? Well, you don't, you don't, it's, this is home. Mm -hmm. You don't just, you know what I mean? It's like, this is all I know. And even when you go, you always come back. Because it's home. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, do you have other big things or could it kind of get to our recommendations on whether watch it? It's it, not really big things. It's, it's, uh, it's more little things. I just feel like this is one that they're... And this is always the thing with a- adapting a book is especially a Stephen King book. I'm sure there's a lot more there that they had to cut out that would have fleshed some of these things out. Like I I thought it was funny that when he moves to the other town, he has this huge house and you know, this huge old house, but he just lives by himself and he's tutoring and, but he he's able to live in this giant house, you know. It's not like right. it's a mansion, but it's just this huge old house that would have right. to be, have to have been pretty. Exp- I don't know. There were just little things like that that I bet yeah. probably in the book it talks about him buying the place or renting it or whatever. I don't know. But so, well, as somebody who just bought a house for the first time in my life, and I'm, I'm relieved. It's I, our first thought was that this house was going to be too small for us, mm-hmm. and and just three weeks in, I'm relieved we didn't buy a bigger house. Like yeah. taking care of a house is a lot mowing the yard and just keeping the rooms clean. And we looked at bigger houses that were a little further out that were in the same price point, but older and this or that. But I end up being glad I didn't buy a bigger, older house. Like it's just a lot to keep up with. That's and yet sure. you don't think about it in movies is like, well, this school teacher bought a six bedroom yeah. you know? and he's this guy that walks Why? with a cane after his accident right. so he'd be going it's up and down all these stories all the time like, you know doing? yeah it seemed and and like i say his 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 tutoring uh income would have to be pretty modest until he meets the rich guy but... right i mean a, a two-bedroom ranch for this guy i'm thinking yeah. right exactly exactly maybe at that time you know the uh, Big old houses were super cheap in New England. I don't know. But so, yeah, let's talk about um, 
our uh, recommendations? Uh, Ms. I'll start. I would say definitely worth a watch, especially if you're into Stephen King, if you know the source material, if you're a Walken fan, if you're a Cronenberg fan, right? I mean, I think any of these things alone, it's, it's definitely interesting. It's an interesting movie. The only thing I would say is, just with a, a little asterisk on it, would be like, they pitch it as a horror movie. It's a drama mm-hmm. with elements of horror. And the elements of horror... It really is like when you're like biting into a Ben and Jerry's, you'll get like a full half of a peanut butter cup. <laughs> you know, you're like, whoa, yeah. okay, yeah. now we're doing peanut butter cup. But then you swallow that and you're back to the ice cream with stuff in it. So it's like, it's a drama. But when they get to the horror, you're like, woo, but don't go into it expecting to be like, ooh, David Cronenberg, Stephen King, this has got to be off the hook. It's good. It's really interesting. But it doesn't quite come together. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I feel like we maybe kind of picked this apart and I, I don't, uh, I, I like this movie a lot and I actually think this is, I think this is one of the better, uh, King adaptations. I think, uh, for me, um, I think the shining will always be my, cause I just think the shining is a masterpiece. Which he hated apparently. And he hated. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of warmed up to it a little bit and, uh, it, but it's, it's very different from his book, you know, but, but, uh, um, I love the shining. I think, you know, it's a masterpiece and you you have, you know, Shawshank and, um, the original pet cemetery. I like a lot. It's not aged that well. I liked the two, um, the, you know, the two new, it movies. Um, but I, yeah, I think right. this is one of the better King adaptations, but like you say, I think people, you know, somebody younger who is maybe just getting into horror, just getting into uh, King and they've just watched, uh, the it movies. And then they go into this. They're probably, this is probably going to be, you know, too subdued for them. I, I think of this would be a, horror movie that my parents would enjoy i think you know because again it's more of a drama and it's very human um you know like i said it's 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 kind of heartbreaking in some ways and one thing that i was thinking about watching this is i don't know if you uh think much about this but the and again this was not one that i saw as a kid I, i was an adult when i saw this the first time but revisiting movies at different points in your life you know, kind of the thing of you watch, uh, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day and somebody was, I don't even remember what movie they were talking about, but they said there was some movie and they said, uh, there are kids in it that are kind of the protagonists. And then there are parents. And they said, you know, when I was a kid, I identified with the kids. Now I watch the movie and I identify with the adults. And I think watching a movie like this, you know, if you watch this and you're 16 or 21 or something like that, I don't know that it would resonate as much as when you're older. You know, what's tragic about this movie is is two kind of big things that, um, you know, the older you get thinking of losing five years, you know, is would be how devastating that would be. And then he loses the love of his life. Um and, you know, then just kind of the sacrifice at, at the end. But, uh, um, yeah, well, I mean, it's like every time he starts to 
discover and build a meaningful relationship in his life, this ability, which everyone else thinks of as a gift and he thinks of as a curse, ruins it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, he starts to get a little bit of happiness and, and things kind of kind of fall As apart. soon as he yeah. finds a, a, a human relationship that matters to him in, a, in an enriching way that feels positive, the the ability or the curse ruins it. And that's a it's a very sad movie. Yeah, it, it's very sad. And as you say, kind of all the different elements, the the acting is good. It's well made. Um, and if you like Cronenberg or Carpenter, not Carpenter, Cronenberg, uh, King and Wa- or Walken, you know, any of those, it's it's a recommend. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I'd say go for it. I just, it's not one of those slam dunk things that I'm like, get your girlfriend and the popcorn and like, you know, you you can't miss this one. It's definitely worth a watch. It's going to kind of bum I, you out probably. I, yeah, yeah, I felt a little disappointed at the end. And I think it's mostly the de- depiction of the senator character. I yeah. felt that was like, it was so honest and meticulous up till then and then this character and it's not obviously he's not a bad actor no it's just kind uh, of an over-the-top performance yeah, that sort of doesn't sort of fit like, in a like one-note character an escalation of this stakes but i think it was a mistake whether it's directorially or what to abandon the kind of authenticity of the human aspect of it absolutely throughout and you know i'm not going to say cronenberg doesn't know what he's doing because i just think he made a choice and it didn't play the same way the way that he thought it might yeah i i think you're right so two new things um i think it's worth us having a little discussion about what we're going to do next so our loyal fans can uh, maybe watch whatever we're going to watch with us and then be a part of the conversation, which would be cool. So I want to talk about that. And also I want to open a channel for feedback. If there's anybody watching um, and then they want to send us um, recommendations or thoughts or feedback about an episode, I created a Gmail account that is Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That if anybody wants to, you know, say, hey, why don't you review this movie or review a talk about, you know, this movie or, hey, I listened to your podcast and I had this thought. I just thought it'd be kind of cool. So Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. If you've got any thoughts or feedback, don't be a dick, please. I don't <laughs> want to be, you know, we're all adults. Hey, we'll take, um, we'll take, uh. Whatever we can, we can take criticism. <laughs> sure, criticism is fine. I just don't want baloney. Um. Mm. So, and then, um, yeah. What do you think? What should we do next time? Well, um, I watching this put me in kind of a Cronenberg mood, and I don't know if you would want to continue the Cronenberg uh, listening kind of. Uh, uh, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, but thing. Uh, yeah, thing. Now, this is a movie that I've seen many times because it's one of my favorites. But what would you think about watching Videodrome? Have you seen oh. it before? Um, It's been a long time. 
I this would be a giant. Drum. This would be a giant contrast to. Uh, I thought you were going to say the thing, his remake of the thing. Oh, but that was John Carpenter. That's Carpenter, yeah. Yeah, but that's so Cronenbergy. Yeah, <laughs> it is kind of. Yeah. Was he involved in that? He didn't have anything to do with it, as far as I know. And I, uh, last fall, went to Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, a little it was early october i guess maybe mid-october they do a horror festival there and there's a podcast that i really enjoy uh that these two canadian women um do called faculty of horror where they review horror movies from an academic standpoint one of them has a, a sociology sociology degree and i forget about the other one but anyway anyway rate sorry i can't talk um they showed the thing and they did a, they recorded a live uh, podcast where they discussed it afterwards, which was really awesome. But um, anyway. Uh, they discussed it. Yes, discussed. they discussed They discussed, exactly, yeah. So, uh, um, but that was cool because I loved the thing, and I, but I had never seen it in a, in a cinema a before. It's a gross movie. Oh, yeah. It's so upsetting. But it's a great one. But uh, yeah, if you would, you know, Videodrome is uh, now... All right. I'm, I'm going to assume that it's that we can get this. I have I actually have the Blu-ray of it um, of uh, Videodrome, but I'm going to I'm going to assume that we, we can find little, it somewhere to rent. I'm going to do a little internetting right now. OK. Videodrome. But I think it would be a very interesting contrast by the same director, but a much different film. That yeah. That came out in the same year, you know. Um, I bet Amazon has got it. Although I thought Wild at Heart was gonna be easy to watch too. Um, video drum. Yeah, three ninety nine. Cool. So if nothing else, I can watch it on Amazon. We're gonna do video drum now. All right. I will say this. Um, <laughs> I expect to not like this. Okay. Uh, and. I know that you and I had had a conversation offline before about wouldn't it be interesting to watch a movie that we didn't agree so much on? Um, because mo for the most part, I think we've picked ones that were like, ooh, yeah, let's go uh, enjoy that again together. Mm -hmm. um, but wouldn't it be fun if we watched one? Because I am actually not so into horror. Right. Like when I was a kid watching a horror movie, it really upset me. I've still never watched The Exorcist all the way through. Oh, okay. Um, although I'm sure now at 47, I could handle it. Um, it's just not really my thing. I like sci-fi, right? And I've made horror movies. Um, we're going to do Videodrome. So well, I won't us. say anything other than just, and I mean, this is letting the cat out of the bag, but I'm a big fan of Videodrome. So I'm, I'm already going to go into it, you know, positive. But uh, I, I think you might be surprised at what you're going to think of it. Great. I am going to open my mind and I am going to let down my inhibitions and I'm going to watch video drum and we're going to talk about it next Wednesday. So to our legions of fans, uh, <laughs> listen, let's, let's all watch video drum together and then we can come together and have a conversation. And if you want to give us some feedback or some things to think about or anything, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. Shall we call it? What do you think? Yeah. Kind of a short episode, but 
Um, all right, everybody, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week.